Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. And hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest in the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. I am thrilled to welcome my guest today, Rocky Howard. She is the Chief Diversity Officer at Smart Recruiters, one of the top talent access suites out there. Fantastic product. And she has over 20 years of experience in the recruitment industry across various industries. And she believes that when you give someone a job, you change our lives. And we're going to totally unpack that and get into it. And I'm excited to unpack Racky's impressive career and dig into D-E-I-M-B and bias and talk about what's happening in this world today and how we could all work together to make the workplace better for everyone. Rocky, you ready to do this? Absolutely. Let's go for it. So let's do it. Rocky Howard, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. And you know, like being here with you and being counted as among the best and brightest, it's, it's, it's just an honor. Thank you so much for having me here today. Awesome. I, I absolutely love it. And thank you so much for joining us. So, you know, as I said to you off air before we got started, one of the cool things that I really like to do about uh, do on this show is unpack someone's career journey, especially when they've reached a level of success where, where you are being the chief diversity officer. But it didn't start like that. So let's rewind. Let's go back to the early days. And my first question is, how and why did you get into the people business? Yeah. So it's interesting. I've worked since I was 13 years old. Uh, and so I don't know how not to work. Right. And so I started as a day camp counselor and then I went into retail um, and worked at restaurants and did all of that foundational stuff. Um, and I was 20. I was expecting my first child. Um, I am from Chicago and had, yeah, baby, South side. What's up? So um, at that time I was working retail and the store that I managed had gotten robbed for the fifth time at gunpoint. That's not fun. Ah, well, you know, like the first, the first four the first times, three times are kind of scary. The fourth time, <laughs> like just take the money. I mean, honestly, it's like, just put your gun away. Yeah, it was, it, you know what, like you're young and you're dumb and you think you're invincible, right? right? And so, but all of a sudden when you are, have another life inside of you, you go, oh crap, yeah, no, so sorry, can't do this. And right. uh, so I, I I was going to be moving soon. My husband and I uh, had made some decisions. We weren't quite married then. And so I, I, I can't sit still. I don't think I'm capable of it. So I go to this temp service and I say, look, I'm knocked up and I'm moving in a couple months, but I need is something. That exactly, to do. Is that exactly what you said? Pretty much. Like you I'm showing not, at that point. You're like, <laughs> ah, 
I am not one of those cute basketball belly women who oh. pops out at like like I was the kind of person who I'm sure before I even got pregnant started to gain weight. It was ridiculous. It's miraculous. I have four kids and I have no idea how I did that four times. Um, but yeah, like I did I wanted to do something. And so I didn't know what that was. I dropped out of college. Um, and so I just went to this temp service and said, Can you find something for me to do? And they said, you know what? Like we kind of been toying around with having a receptionist. Let's put you at the front desk. And so, like, if you ask a hundred recruiters how they started in the recruiting recruiting industry, mm-hmm. you're going to get a hundred answers. And that's my story. And I sat at that front desk. Yeah. And yeah, truly sat at that front desk and like it occurred to me. So, you know, back in the day when people used to actually have to come pick up their checks, right? right. <laughs> we take that for granted. We take, you know, people, same thing with resumes, right? People used to have physical resumes they would mail and deliver and hand deliver. Absolutely. And so that's how I got started. And then I'd get bored, right? I'd learn the front desk. I had done all the tutorials. Remember when people used to come in and there was like a room and they'd learn new skills and the oh, computer. Yeah. I had done all the tutorials. I, you know, had created a manual for the day. Like I'd done everything extra I could do. And I was sitting there kind of like bored. And so I started asking these recruiters, like, what do you do all day? How do you do it? And this idea that you could talk to people and like make money was fascinating to mind me. blowing it was mind blowing i was like i can talk all day and make money okay you guys have to show me I'm how in. to do this I'm me all up. in all Let's in do it. yeah um and and so that was the beginning of it and i think there though was also the beginning of this thought about how you change someone's life. Like when someone comes in and says to you, like you just gave me this temp assignment and I can now pay my electric bill or my car pay, my car's not going to get repossessed or like my babies are going to have diapers this week. Like that's when you realize that this is not about those commissions you're making. Like this is about changing people's lives. It it is real. And I, you know, I remember the first it was probably the second place well the first placement's a story for another time that i've told how my, my first placement got fired 85 days into a 90-day guarantee oh! period because they, they accused him of doing drugs and then they wouldn't tell me what even drugs he was doing i'm like at least tell me what drugs he's doing but anyway it wasn't really until my my second placement and it was a girl who was out of work she was a little bit younger in her career she was struggling at the time and i placed her at a job she ended up loving and i got a handwritten thank you card in the mail and and that and that's when it hit home for me that I was actually, for the first time in my career, I wasn't making some company, some shareholder, some rich, you know, rich person at the top, you know, another dollar, another penny. But I was actually helping people. And it sounds so cliche. We talk about it in recruiting all the time. But we, re- we really are helping people. And you know what? Yes, we're making money. And that's fine. Right? Like, yes, that, that's fine there. I don't need to feel guilty because I do what I love to do for a living. And oh, by the way, it helps people because that's, you know, like it helps me. I get to keep a roof over my head, right? Everybody should do something that they love to do and that helps others and could get paid doing it. That life. Yeah, that's fine. Listen, we 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 all got bills to pay. Why? You know, I hate when people crap on recruiters, but we'll save that for another time. But I want to talk about, you know, those early days when you were starting out in the people business. What was one of those lessons that you learned? as we like to say, the hard way. What was one of those lessons that you learned the hard way that really helped build that foundation of you as an individual before you were even a people leader, you in the workplace, you being a professional Rocky in Workplace America? Wow. You know, I think for me, um, 
it, it was, I remember early in my career having a conversation with a leader and I, I, I lived with a single dad who worked two jobs to keep a roof over our heads. So work ethic was really always embedded in me. It was work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard. And coming from um, a really kind of um, poor social economical situation, um, and I've been pretty open about this coming from an abusive situation. Like you look at work as your way out. And so work was always up, going up to be up and out. Like the only way you're going to get out of the circumstances, work, 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 work. Um, and I think for me, it was this interesting moment when I had someone and I got a lot of energy, right? Sit down and say like, yeah, you work a lot and you move around a lot, but like, I want you to work smart and I really want you to figure out what it is that you do well and do that and focus on that. And I think that's something I've taken along with me with my career. Now, anybody who works with me will tell you I'm still a bit of that Tasmanian devil that works really hard. Well, well that's, that's the drive, that's, that's, that's the work drive. That's the drive. But I think the change in the trajectory of my career came with two major moments. One, realizing that you really have to leverage your strengths. I think we spend way too much time on what we do wrong and not enough time on what we do right. Amen. Um, that's, yeah. my, that's my thesis right there. I'm telling you, we do. And then I think it was the moment when I hit 40 where I just went, yeah, like, I don't really give a shit what other people think anymore. <laughs> like I'm going to oh, bring what a magical my moment whole that is when... <laughs> Yeah, like I'm going to bring my whole self to work. I'm a grown woman. I've earned the right. I know what I do really really well, and now I've earned the right to be me and bring my whole self. And then I really saw a change and a shift in not only my trajectory, but a trajectory of the people who worked around me. I, I love that. And that was a golden piece given to me about six years ago when I went on my own was to stop focusing on the things that I suck at and double down on my strengths. And it was at 36. And I was like, I'm not going to go back and fix all these things. Let me take advantage of what I'm great at and 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 really do that. But, you know, when starting out at the ground level of a company and, and you're looking up at, at, the, at the powers that be, right? Like you're, you're looking up there and like, was the aspiration to always be at the top? What was that like? Well, I think I could answer that from two perspectives, right? I think here's the here's the deal. When you're a black woman and you're looking up and your experience hasn't been the same. So you you don't have a degree, right. you're a minority, you're a woman. When you look up, first of all, you don't see people who look like you. That's the truth of the matter, right? And so it's really hard to be able to envision yourself the top when you don't see people who look like you and when you see people who look like you their backgrounds aren't like yours so socioeconomic different education different life paths absolutely um However, I still had a tremendous amount of faith in my ability, and I was on that hamster wheel. I was climbing that corporate ladder, and I'll tell you what, you talk about those moments. I worked for a company where um, I, I had an experience where a peer of mine got promoted while that peer was out on leave to a role that wasn't posted internally, and I didn't even get a chance to apply like, for it. What the what? Just, wait, time out here. Right, You're like, right. whoa, whoa, whoa. Right. This person is not only not in the office, they're right, out right. on maternity leave. Yeah. That role has not been posted. Yeah. What the F? Right. 
well, that's how I was feeling. Right. Mm. And so I literally kind of went to my boss and said, basically, what, what, what the F? And, you know, what that person said to me is you don't possess the skills to move forward because here's some things that you don't do. And really what it net it down to is you don't really do politics really well. You, you're, you're not nurturing these things. This is this is something that you don't really do really well. And, Are you and referring I, to the relate, like the interpersonal relationships are literally playing office politics uh, or the ability to, it's a important. I don't, I don't, I don't care. What, I don't care what anybody says, you know, I, 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 office politics are a part of the game. It is, it is. Um, and some of that was really valid feedback about how I positioned my function and how I was able to really show the value of it. And some of it, quite frankly, was just about the game. And I remember picking up a phone and calling my husband, which I don't do a lot during the day. At that time, we had four kids that were all teens or less. And right. uh, we had made the decision that my husband would be a stay at home dad. So I remember calling my husband and saying, like, you're going to have to figure out how to raise these kids on this sucky middle management <laughs> salary that I'm making, because I'm not going to do politics. It's not who I am. So this means I have hit a different type of ceiling. And I made a decision based on that. I was like, okay, this is not who I am. This doesn't feel comfortable. I'm going to go into the outsourcing business because in recruitment process outsourcing, I can do what I love to do. I love recruiting. I love transformation of recruiting. I love building high impact recruiting you know, functions. And so I can go do that. And when I get tired of a particular account's you know, politics, I can just go to another account, but I'm done. Yep. I'm just going to go be happy. And so that was the day, honestly, that I retired all of that. Oh, I'm going to climb up this ladder because it just didn't feel right to me. That's a mindset felt wow. And I just said, screw it. I'm going to go do what I like to do for a living. And I was done. And I literally, but here's the deal, people. When you make that decision, you can't half tail do it. You have to you be have to willing to, you, and you have to be willing to accept the consequences. When I called home and said, I'm never going to make more than this. We were willing to accept the consequences of it. And honestly, what happened is I opened myself up and great things came from that. But Isn't that's that not what I expected. How it works? Isn't that funny how that works in life? When yeah, you take that buddy. chance and you take that risk, when you go out there, you're going to get rewarded. But there's a there's a, a risk factor. There's some people are risk adverse. They're, they're safety net. They're fine with that, you know, the comfort of having that weekly paycheck. It's the people that put themselves out there and challenge themselves and push them that, that reap the rewards. And that's just a lesson that you learn in life. You, you know, some folks the hard way, but you have to take that first step. You, you yeah. actually have to do it. So, so let's fast forward. Um, how did you get hooked up with smart recruiters? How did you get hooked up with Jerome? Who, who, Jerome's been on my show. I love Jerome. He is, he, it was one of my favorite episodes because as you know, there's something, a certain je ne sais quoi about Jerome that we're, he, it's an energy fused with wisdom, experience, insights, and he's a great storyteller. So tell me how you got connected with Smart Recruiters. He is incredible. And this is this is one of these stories about do what you do really well, add value to people, um, don't burn bridges, have good relationships. So fair enough. I don't know if you've heard about Claro Analytics run by Michael Bagelman. Nope. Okay. So Michael Bagelman runs Claro Analytics. He used to be um, in the RPO business. I worked for Michael for several years. Um, and so 
in my old company, we were trying to have some conversations about Claro and Mike and I were just having kind of an offline conversation. You know, we had debriefed from here's the business pitch and we we're just catching up personally and literally and talking about some personal things. And he went, oh, my God, I've got the perfect job for you. And I just kind of went. Okay, the t- the, tell me more. The, tell me more. No, actually, I went like no? the last time you told me that you moved me. You moved me to Toledo, Ohio. No offense, Toledo. I love you, but I'm a Chicago girl. I've been in Indy. That was a big change. And I was like, I'm not moving back to Toledo. So I'm not sure I want to hear what you've got. And um, he's like, no, seriously, I've got the perfect job for you. Michael has a passion around diversity. He knew that that's a passion and a heart that I had. He knew the... um, he knew how I worked. He knew how I delivered. He also knew the results I could do. And he's like, and he knew Jerome and he knew me. He was like, no, you two have to meet. Literally dropped a note to him right then and there. And uh, history was made. And I will tell you guys this. And I actually, I absolutely love Jerome. When he made the offer for me to come work for smart recruiters and, and take on this chief diversity officer role, he said, let's go change the world together. And that's what we're trying to do. And, and I'm, I'm so excited to be here. I love it. So let let's let's bring everyone up to speed. They hear the acronym D E I and B. So we're going to break it down right now, and I want to get your perspective on it. And I'm not going to start with D. I want to start with I call the bastard child of this acronym, which is E, which is equity. Yeah, I don't think people talk about equity. I think they actually drop it. I think they just go D E B. Like you you hear it a lot, but like what we're going to go backwards here. What is the equity component of D E I and B? Yeah. So I think there's a difference between equality and equity. Right. And so when you think about equity, I like to tell people to think about it in two ways. Right. Equity is certainly about pay equity and making sure that people who have equal skills are getting paid equally. Right. right? Like it's it's equity. Right. So it doesn't matter if I'm a black woman and you're a white man. If we're doing the same job and we have the same level of experience and we're, we, you know, we should get paid the same. It's really simple. If we, if we could get companies to just cover that piece of equity, we, we'd be sailing along. And there are some incredible companies that are doing that. You look at what Mark Benioff did over at PayPal, oh, literally yeah. putting his money where his mouth is to the tune of six million dollars to make sure that there was pay equity within his organization that you know that's commitment to it and then that, i think there's another piece of equity which says we're really quick right now to say let's treat everyone equally but going back to my background right I, not everybody comes to the table equally that's so, a very fair point. People come at different stages, different uh, entry points into an organization, and they also come from different salary, different salary expectations, and also geographically, too. So there's a lot of different factors. It's not black and white. It's not it, either or. Not at all. And so I think when you then get to that higher level of equity, you're talking about what commitment are we willing to make inside of our organ our organization to get people to equal, are we going to look at equity? Which means I may have a program that supports this type of person or these type of people from this background that didn't start at the same way that these folks over here had, because I'm trying to get everyone to be equal, but then I have to start from a place of equity and not everybody is equal. So I think when you talk about equity, from my point of view, there's two considerations. It's about pay equity, but it's also about people equity. And to get to equal, we've got to go through equity. 
Thank you for that point of clarification. Diversity, not just black, white, brown, yellow. Oh but but what? But what? But what? You know, I mean, it, it came to the forefront. You know, fortunately or unfortunately, however way you look at it, you know, with the unfortunate events around George Floyd. Um, I mean, this has been a long-standing issue. It's not just come about, you know, because of you know last June when it was diversity. How do you define diversity? Yeah. So for me, there's multiple dimensions of diversity. And I always tell people, I'm not going to apologize because I show up as a Black woman. And I'm certainly not going to back down to issues that happen in the Black community. But even when you think about my pronouns, and this is probably the best way for me to describe this and answer your question. People ask me my pronouns. I'm always like, I'm she, her, Black, Christian, Gen X, wife, mom. Because she, her is certainly an important part of who I am, but it's the intersection of all of those things that bring you the perspective that I bring to you today. So who is to say that how I answer any particular question comes from me being a woman or me being black, that's what you can see. And so that's always what people go to. And, and let's face facts. We talk about four things usually when we talk about, at least in the U.S., right? We talk about these four things. We talk about race. We talk about gender. We talk about sexuality. We talk about vet status. And we think that that's all that diversity that's, is yeah, about. It's, it's a lot that's, more. <laughs> that's it. It's a lot more. There's literally hundreds of dimensions of diversity. It is social economical. It is is work hierarchy, it is religious beliefs, it is differences in communication style, thought diversity style, thought. education, diversity of, thought, diversity of thought, all of those types of things. It is partnership status. It It's all of those things. So I would really challenge people to think and do some, look at the multiple dimensions of diversity when you're interacting with people. And don't just assume that if you don't think you see diversity, that someone's not diverse. Like, who am I to look at you and go, oh yeah, he doesn't count because he's a white man. Like, I don't know how you identify. I don't know any of those dimensions of diversity. And who are you to kind of look at me and say, okay, so I can check these boxes because she looks no, like and, she's a black woman, right? Like we need to look at those and, multiple dimensions and, of diversity. And, and just off the cuff rant here. I mean, I look on LinkedIn sometimes and I see all these companies making these quick hires to hire black female diversity and inclusion officers. And I'm like, are they checking a box here or are they really doing it for the right reasons? Oh, can I speak and actually, to that? I, wait one second. And I, and I saw a couple of companies. I saw one company hire a, a white male and a white woman. And I'm like, they're my, my instinct is that they are doing it the right way. Yeah. So I definitely understand that. And I, I'll tell you, I have mixed emotions around Please. this, right? Open, open for so, me. I'd love to yeah. hear them. So I think there's, there's two sides of which I said, there's a pretty snarky side of me that says, well, my gosh, even in diversity, the minorities are the minority on the subject that arguably they should be the major majority in. Right. There's a part of me that says that. However, let me be really, really clear. You don't hire someone because they look diverse. Like I have no doubt that Jerome hired me as the CDO of smart recruiters, not in any performative measure, but because I was absolutely the right person for the job. And I could explain to you how, and I'm pretty sure if he came on, he could tell Your you actual how. experience, nothing it, to do with what you see on the other side of the screen here. That was just, yeah, Not what that, you identify as, but what you bring nope. to the table from an experience standpoint. Absolutely. And the diversity of your mindset, your thoughts, and your abilities. Absolutely. And guess what? 
if there was something different, that's not why I would have wanted to get hired. Right. I, I, as a black woman, I want to get hired because I'm the best person for the job. When we talk about diversity though, and we suggest to companies that they do diversify their workforces and they stop talking about it and actually doing it, the challenge that we're actually issuing is to say, put more qualified diverse talent in the top of your funnel. Because if you do that, then you're bound to have more that comes out. It's not about, oh my gosh, I've got to hire a CDO and oh my gosh, oh, I see Rocky's profile. She looks like she fixed it. Check, 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 check. That's not what's happening. And let me just tell you, I would guess that about half of us that got jobs last year won't have them 18 months from now. For better, for better or worse. Right. Maybe they're the wrong hire where a company was just checking the box. And there's a lot of people who took advantage and they got a great new job. And at the end of the day, they're not doing the actual work that goes into being a chief diversity officer. To your point, and, and let's let's get into this now, because I definitely want to get back to the inclusion and the belonging part. But from a diversity perspective, and I see this as an in the trenches recruiter myself, when when clients say, hey, we need more diversity, we need diversity. Hours. And I say to them, before I even get into the how I'm going to fill the funnel, I go, let me ask you a question. What if at the end of the day, the best possible candidate is a white male? And I, and I wait to see their answer. Yeah. Right. The ones, in my opinion, that say to me, that's perfectly fine if that is the best candidate. But as long as we gave everybody an equal chance and we filled the top of the funnel with a diverse range of candidates that we went, we had the due diligence that we weren't just looking from one school, one education that, that, that skewed maybe towards affluent white folks, right? Like that's, that's, that's the difference there. But I think, let me add on to that. Cause Please. I, I the agree expert. I'm not, you. I'm just, I'm yeah. just a sideline coach over here. <laughs> I agree with you, but there's some, there's other things that need to be done to make sure that people come out of the funnel. Right. So to your point, it is about sourcing strategy and sourcing strategically and not just, oh, my gosh, give me the job board that hires, you know, female engineers. Right. It's about building a longer term strategic strategy that lets you communicate and engage with multiple communities of all types. It's about taking out ridiculous education requirements where they're not needed. It's about the schools that you source for. It's about looking at outcomes based behavior. But then it's also about what is the experience when people come into the funnel? How do they look at your brand? What is your is your experience unbiased? So it's one thing to say you recruiter can put more diverse talent at the top of the funnel. However, if hiring managers aren't trained about what that means, if they're still asking bias questions, if they still have biases, look, we all have biases, right? Mm -hmm. But we have to recognize them. If there's not diverse talent on the interview panel who are empowered to speak up, if it isn't a culture, so you talked about this, right? We're going to get back to it. But if it's not a culture that I feel comfortable working, in like if it's not a inclusive and belonging culture then i'm not going to stay so yes you are absolutely right the answer you want to make sure it's not performative is i want the best person for the job the question we need to make sure of is that we've empowered our organization to identify that best person not through a bias lens so so i'll 
let's talk about bias for a moment. We're going to get back to IMB. Don't worry. We didn't forget you about, about your IMB here. But bias, 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 bias. And oh, I am under, I am under, we all have some bias within us. It Absolutely. Is, it, is, it is, it is how we grew up. It's where we grew up. Our parents, our friends, there are things to us that are, that are unconscious bias. Absolutely. In your eyes, in your lens, looking at the recruiting process, how do we work to remove and reduce? Because I don't think we'll ever remove it completely because we are human. We are fallible. How do we remove, how do we reduce bias in the hiring process? Yeah. So I think there's several ways to be able to do this, right? But let me tell you, diversity is one of the most challenging business imperatives we have right now because it, it, it's one of those things that feels personal right? You're challenging my values. And then there's all this guilt involved and all the shame involved. And, you know, like, oh my, yeah, it is deep. And I don't know what to say. And I don't know what to do. And I don't, I don't want to ask this question, et cetera. So there's lots of layers to why we can't unpick this thing. But I think the first part is holding people accountable. If you are looking, for example, and you're putting those, so think about it. Let's go back to what we've been saying. I'm putting in all these this diverse talent at the top of the funnel, right? And it's just not coming out. And I keep hearing this, oh my gosh, diverse talent doesn't exist. That's a crock of crap. Diverse talent does exist. You may have to work harder to get put it. put a little extra effort to find the, the, the top of the funnel. But, but it does exist. So think about it this way. You're now looking at, can you look at your stats, right? And go- Data tells okay. the story. Exactly. So here's where people came in. Okay. So they, we were good here. We got them here. Then they interviewed. Did they still make it? Then they got offered. Did they make it? Did they, you know, what, what is it? Is it, they're always falling out here. Are they falling out at the assessment place? Like, are we assessing candidates equally? Do do I have one? Is it the hiring hiring manager? You have to look at, you have to look at each point in the process. Absolutely. So, That's how you eliminate bias. You take a look and make sure you've got bias-free language. You have a brand that's attractive to people. Do you have an accessible process? If I'm blind, how do I even know about you? Like if I'm hearing impaired, can I interact? Are you making those types of- Accessibility is a very underspoken about, underrepresented piece here. We talk about people with with, uh, hearing sight, learning disabilities. Absolutely. If I'm neurodiverse, does your hiring manager know how to um, h- how to assess what my actual delivery can be versus the fact that maybe um, I, you know, I, I, Adam, I don't know if you know this. I have a podcast called The Voices of Diversity. Oh, we're going to get to it. Don't worry. We're only but, halfway through. Right. So one of those things is, you know, one of the guys on there who's neurodiverse has freaking written stuff for NASA he's neurodiverse. So he is not comfortable looking you in the eye. He may take a minute to answer a question. And my managers have been trained. Oh, this person didn't look me in the eye. So they're not body language. Yeah. When you talk about taking bias out of the process, it's all of those pieces. Rocky, what I'm hearing here is, is strong leadership and commitment at the top is what's going to affect and make change. Right. Oh, so can we talk about this? Sure. Because it's not, yes, absolutely. Strong commitment at the top, leadership. Resources, direction, vision. Yes. And it, it, look, 
the CEO does not own diversity. The CDO does not own diversity. The CPO doesn't own diversity. We all do. And so the, the, I see this challenge all the time, especially, you know, like at some of my clients, the, the, the commitment for diversity certainly has that senior level support and it was created above the glass ceiling. And then that's where it stays, right? <laughs> and you've got to get down into the organization. You've got to get to those middle managers who are actually running your business. How with the decision makers? Absolutely. Who's making the hire? Who's pulling, giving the green light on a hire? Absolutely. You've got to get to, remember I was a receptionist. Do you know how much influence a receptionist has? Oh, you are the gatekeeper. You are the gate. You could literally, you could, you could, you could, Rocky, you could literally not let a call go through. That's a critical call. Right? Like you're the physical gatekeeper of an organization. There's a lot so, of power there. Absolutely. You're also sometimes the first impression that people have. If I'm the receptionist and I don't know what it means in our organization, uh, what diversity means, if I don't know my role in it, if I don't know how I'm supposed to treat people, it, that's where it starts to fall apart. So it's, it is that senior level support. But to your point, Paz, it is how do we drive that support throughout the organization to show that we've got a true commitment? And, and why are so many companies getting this wrong? Is it because, A, that they're either such an, uh, a legacy, long-term company and it, and it just takes a lot more, more work or they're a newer company that don't have the right resources? I mean, where are you seeing the pain and breakpoints? Yeah. So I think there's two answers to that, right? So I there's think, more than that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Focus two. on two for right now. We're, 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 we're limited time. Right. So I think the first thing is there is a set of companies who truly want to do the right thing and they just don't know how, right? And so they're, they're, they're doing all of this stuff and it's not coming together. And we, we see that. That's why I put out our diversity hiring toolkit, because we've got companies that say, I want to do the right thing, but I, I just, like I go, I listen to, uh, you know, I've been to this webinar, I've taken this course, I've talked to people, I've shown up here, I get really excited, I get back to my desk and I don't know what to do. They don't know how to execute. Right. Don't know how to execute. So we've built a tool that says, okay, look, we're going to help you big picture. And actually, so that when you go back to your desk, you will know what to do. Giving and building the tools. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think there's another set of people who don't really understand how complex this is. And when faced with public pressure, make a performative commitment that they're not like, you know, when we were kids and we used to cross our fingers behind our back. Yeah, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Yeah, right. And, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, yes. I got, I, I'll, I'll take care of it. No problem. I'm on it right on top yeah. of that. So I think there's two schools. Yeah. Let's get back and not forget about inclusion and belonging. So let's talk about inclusion. Um, what does that even mean? Yeah. So think about it this way. <clears throat> Diversity is, I, I walked into the door. Equity is, I, I walked into the door and I'm paid equally, right? Um, inclusion is, now I've walked in the door and you've made a seat for me. You've, you, there's there's the table, there's the virtual table, and you've made a seat to me for me. And belonging is you've made that seat, and no matter who's sitting around that table, I feel like I belong there. Perfect. 
what a, what, a, what a great way to sum that up. And if you don't mind sharing, what has been the biggest challenge for you coming into smart recruiters as an organization, not as a, a talent access provider to infuse change and make a difference? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think when you talk about our organization, we're a tech company, right? Like we're not an HR consulting company. We're not, despite the name, we're not recruiters. The actual company itself, <laughs> the product that they deliver is not, and they're not in, uh, recruiters. Small right. recruiters are not recruiters. We're not recruiters. We're, we're the name may fool you, but they're not. Yes. Yeah, it's a tech company, right? And so I think when I think about internally in our organization, our initiatives have had great responses, right? Um, in fact, we just finished having um, inclusive leadership training and at all levels, I will tell you, Jerome was in that training. So at all levels of the organization, all levels of our leaders, and I was really shocked that when I did the numbers, we had a 94% attendance rate throughout that, that training. That's incredible right. when you're talking about it's busy commitment. leaders. It's, it's commitment. commitment. And you're talking 90 minutes sessions every two weeks with homework, et cetera. So internally, I think it's, it's, it, we are accepting, right? And we're understanding where we are and we understand we've got work to do. I think our biggest challenge externally, because we do want to change the world and we do want to help the market, is to make sure that we are not just talking about this, that we're providing tools that resonate with our, our particular clients and then making sure that our clients understand how to use our tech to help support the tools that we're giving them and how we have that conversation. And the conversation here is very different than the conversation that my leaders are having in Germany, that they're having in Poland, that they're having in Berlin, that they're having in EMEA, that they're having in APAC. And so it's also like, how do we support across the globe when we have global clients? And that's yeah. going to take some work. Absolutely. So shifting gears a little bit, um, you mentioned before you host a couple of podcasts, Grown woman life and the voice of diversity and you're having conversations that match the work that you do and you're passionate about. What is your main objective with these shows? Why, why are you doing them? And, and what do you want people to get out of them? Yeah. So, um, Grown Woman Life was started last year. It, 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 and, and we're kind of pivoting it and we'll pivot it into the versus diversity. But the reason that Grown Woman Life was started was because I wanted the tribe of women who were, bold, brilliant, badass, over 40 career women to know that there was a tribe for them. Um, I'm, I'm so tired of looking at TV commercials where I'm looking at Depends and Wrinkle Cream. Like, uh, and, and <laughs> Am I really in this demographic at this point? God damn it. Yeah. And look, I probably use all of that, right? But that's I'm so much more than that, right? In my 50s. I'm more than I'm, depends, Rocky. I'm, I'm more, more than depends and wrinkle cream and, and menopause medicine, right? And I want it. Don't women show me that adult diaper commercial. That. I swear to God, if you if you show me that adult diaper commercial, I am jumping through the screen right now. So, and so go ahead. That, continue, please. Yeah. So that was the purpose of Grown Women Life. And so now it's evolved. What I have found is that in, in all the conversations we have and we're helping people move the needle forward on diversity, you know, we're talking about strategy and pledges and metrics and how we hold people accountable and how we recruit and, you know, what training you do. I find that we just don't spend enough time talking about people. Yeah. And I get into the people. 
that's what it's supposed to be about. And that's what the Voices of Diversity is about. It is about letting people who identify from a group that's historically underrepresented from multiple dimensions of diversity tell their story about what it's like for them to work in corporate America. Rocky, who's your who's your dream guest? Who would you love to have on? Who would be the ideal guest for you on the show? Dream guest. What? Give me one dream guest. Off, 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 off the cuff. Dream guest. I can't. Oh. Um. Brain twister here. Wow. It is a brain twister. You know what? I honestly am a big fan of Chief Justice Sonia Sotomayor. Um, And if you've ever read her book, it's an incredible, incredible story about how a a Latinx woman comes from a very humble background to become a Supreme Court justice. I would love to have her on the show. All right. Well, we're putting it out there into the universe. And Rocky, what would be your main piece of advice, your, your, your golden piece of advice for any young women of color who are about to enter the workforce, who have this goal of being you know, in an executive leadership position like yourself? What advice would you give them? I would say to be very clear on knowing what your value is and how you bring that value into a business setting. You have to know your value, be clear and be confident in your value. And look, that's going to take time, right? <laughs> it's going to take time. I, I I have three daughters and I tell them the same thing. But once you feel it, like don't ignore it, here's your value. And then show up with that value. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to promote it. Don't be afraid to talk about it. Um, please deliver it. Um, and and then I think that's that's kind of the stage where things open up because if you're one of those people who is confident about who you are and you deliver value to the organization, let's, let's face facts, guys. When we go to work, this is not like... Um, this is a nonprofit. Like companies are hiring us to add value. It's and a business. We're for business profit. Forward. We're making money here, people. A- absolutely. And if you're not adding value, then you're never going to grow. But I think if you could get those two things worked out, um, that puts you in a big step. It t- helps you take a big step forward. That's great advice. And speaking of advice, what's the greatest piece of advice that you have ever received personally that you take advantage of every single day, that you take action on every single day? Wow. Um, I've been really lucky to have some 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 great mentors, some great sponsors in my life. But I really think it comes back to focus on your strengths. Mark Eberly, if you're out there, um, I want to thank you. But Mark, actually, I worked for Mark and he actually used to work for Strength Finders. And so one of the things that I think he did really well with all of his team members was to sit down and go, we're going to focus on your strengths. And I do try to action that every single day. And and speaking of strengths, you know, that that takes us to superpowers. So, Rocky, what do you do better than almost anyone on this planet that makes you who you are? Yeah, I'm going to answer this through the lens of my oldest daughter. I was having a conversation with my oldest daughter, who is 30 and well in the workplace. And my daughter and I have had the opportunity to actually work for the same company. So we've seen each other through a mother-daughter lens and through a professional lens, which almost never Very happens. Unique. Very unique. It is a very unique situation. And what my daughter told me, hey, Layla, 
Um, what, what my daughter told me, my oldest daughter told me is she said, what you do better than anybody else is you make something out of nothing. She's like, I've seen you do it in your personal life. I've seen you do it in your professional life where you just take nothing and turn it into something phenomenal. So I'll have to take her word that that's my superpower. Oh, I I love it. And, you know, looking back, we're recording this on the 23rd of March. It's been pretty much a year that we've been living in in this pandemic and it's been awful for a lot of us tons of of devastation and death and just just awful but there's a good that comes out of the bad and we call those silver linings so I'd love if you could share Rocky one personal silver lining and one professional silver lining that you've experienced you know over the last year yeah i think from a <clears throat> personal perspective um it really is all about family Right. And so um, I'll go back to Christmas for us. So my youngest daughter and my son are still at home and my youngest daughter got COVID before Christmas. Mm. (laughs) So, okay, she's fine. She's absolutely fine. Thank you for asking. We're so blessed. Um, And it's really interesting because we were really looking forward to Christmas this year. We felt like we all needed just like some together, some some normality. Yeah. And like, we were going to spoil them. Like we, we don't do that anymore. And then this came and what you get to do is you see the tenacity of family. And so and and you realize how you adjust and how much you love each other. So like we said, the oldest, you can't come home. And we went and delivered presents to them. And we did Christmas over Skype. And we did it um, all together at a different day. And I came home and my 18-year-old son was cooking Christmas morning breakfast. And it was just like that moment where you go back like, and you remember how really lucky you are and what's really important. And it's how we treat each other and how we love each other. It doesn't matter Amen. whether we're in Amen. the same room together or not. I, I, I love it. And last but not least, you know, um, oh, sorry, we didn't talk about professional silver lining. Oh, uh, well, that's easy. Um, I got, I, I got to step into this role. That's legacy work for me. It's leveraging literally 30 years of a career and marrying it with my passion in a hope that I'm going to help change the world. That's, that's a really easy answer. Oh, I love it. And last but not least, Rocky, you know, you look back on your life, you look back on the early days, you look back on the, on the tough times and the hard times, and those moments when you had to dig down deep and, and harness that inner tenacity to pull you up, to pull you out of something, to get you to where you are now. And on the other side of that, you're looking back at your life, your beautiful family, you're grateful for your health, your success, that you're surrounded by so much love that you're in your dream job right now and you want to show gratitude. Rocky Howard, what is your compass? What is your North Star in life? Yeah, I'm a God girl. That's really easy. I'm a God girl. And and I give him all the grace. And, you know, I appreciate all the grace and mercy that he's given to me. I appreciate all the strength that he has given to me. And I give him all the glory. I am standing here because I am a God girl. And I am a walking, living miracle. And I'm what happens when you have faith the size of a mustard seed. Um, yeah, that that's a really, really easy answer. Uh, a number two to that would be my loving husband of only thir- almost 30 years, but he would tell you the same thing. And I appreciate you, Rocky Howard. And I appreciate your time and sharing your wisdom and your energy and your passion. And I'm so glad that you and I connected and we spent some time today. And this will not be the last time we connected. Absolutely. Rocky, where can folks find you? Where could they learn more? Yeah, 
also, there's only one Rocky with an I, R-O-C-K-I, Howard at on LinkedIn. I'm on all social media, guys, but LinkedIn is the place to get to me. Um, you can certainly find me at um, the website uh, of thevoicesofdiversity.com. Uh, there's a contact list there. LinkedIn, The Voices of Diversity, you can get me. I love to connect. I love to chat. And I love to support. And this has been tremendous. Also check out a little company called smartrecruiters.com. Definitely check out Smart Recruiters. Let's not forget about them because I'll have uh, some folks coming at me for that. Rocky, hang with me for one moment. Everyone joining us on the live stream, everyone who's joining us at home, in your cars, wherever you are, out walking the dog, out walking the kids. Get outside. It's beautiful. It's springtime United States. Let's do this. Let's get back to it. But remember, take care of each other. Stay six feet apart. Check us out on the podcast.com. I better get that right. And catch us next week for another great episode. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever. But for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.